What I want to talk to you about today is one of the most underrated mission fields in all the United States church, and it is about the unsaved Christian. So would you pray with me this morning? Father, we love you. We thank you that you're in this place, Lord. We thank you for your presence. Lord, we come today giving ourselves to you. I pray today that you would speak through me, that my words would be your words, and that you would minister to our hearts in a way that only you can do it, Lord. We give you permission today to poke at our pride, to poke at our self-reliance and our independence, because, God, we want to draw closer to you. Take us to that next step with you today, Lord. Let our hearts be good soil, and let it be all for your glory and for our good. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. All right, so you guys have heard the term of an oxymoron. Oxymorons are, are phrases that if you kind of break them up, they look like opposites, like they don't make sense, but when you put them together, they do make sense. And uh, just to start on a bit of a light note this, this morning, I have a few of them that I thought I'd share with you that I thought were pretty good. Uh, the first one is only choice, you only have your only choice. Uh, controlled chaos, which is one of my favorites because this accurately describes church work, as you could see with my microphone today too, right? Uh, stiff drink which a good Southern person doesn't even know what that is. Uh, clearly confused. Quiet roar. This is what I tell my kids to do when I go to bed at night. Uh, student teacher. Live, uh, live recording. And pretty ugly. Now, we don't talk about people as being ugly. Pretty ugly is just when we refer to the play of the Georgia Bulldogs football team, right? <laughs> just kidding. You can say the devil's ugly too, but other than that, nothing else, all right? So, the, my title today is Unsaved Christian, which is also somewhat of an oxymoron. When you split it out, it looks like, in, on the surface, it looks like, well, that's not even possible. You're either a Christian or you're unsaved, right? It's pretty simple. And, and, and literally, that would be correct. But what we are experiencing in our society and even in the church is this phenomenon that, become, that being a Christian is not as much about living out the tenets of faith expressed in the Word of God as much as it is a cultural thing. You can be considered a Christian culturally, especially in the Western world, just by adhering to some of the traditions or to some of the cultural things that, they, that we would say that a Christian does. And so you could have something in our culture that would be called an unsaved Christian. Maybe a, a better term would be a cultural Christian. It might make a little more sense, where it's, it's more about being looking the part of being someone that culturally looks like a Christian, more so than actually living a life that's laid down for Jesus. And unfortunately, that is in the church, and that's in, it's, it's all over the place. It's become something that's actually seeped in and become a very real issue that we're having to deal with in the church. Cultural Christianity isn't concerned about promoting a gospel message, but it's focused on being nice to others. Um, it's focused on pursuing the idea of personal happiness and what that looks like. It's about praying when something bad happens, but it's not really about living a life dedicated and, and submitted to a savior. That's what cultural Christianity looks like today. And it's not at all Christian. That's what makes it somewhat of a, a misnomer is that it's not Christian at all. It's actually a counterfeit. And there are lots of them out there that we have to be aware of even in our own life and in our own heart, whether or not it has an effect on us. And in fact, in my text verse, we learn from the words of Jesus in that verse that it's not enough for us just to, to be able to look the part, to do the things that maybe a Christian would do. It's not even enough for us to know him. What he says in this verse very clearly is that he has to know us. 
Now, some of you might think, well, that's heresy. He, he knows everybody. He knows who we are. He knows us. He knows the numbers of hair on our head. He, knows, he knew us before we were in the womb. The Bible's clear about that. But when I'm talking about him knowing us, I'm talking about having that intimate relationship with us, a back-and-forth, personal, reciprocal relationship with him. And so if we really want to be a true Christian and not a cultural Christian, what is required is that we know him and he knows us. But a cultural Christian, a, an unsaved Christian, doesn't really know him, and he doesn't know you in the way that he wants to know us. And so we get a warning here from the Word of God of what that looks like. And I don't know if you've been paying much attention in society or if you've noticed, but Christianity and the church is in the middle of an image crisis in society. We are losing influence in our society at a rapid clip. And I know I talk about this some, but I feel like it's so important that we as a church understand this and know this because it is an issue that we have to take some responsibility for. We are losing influence. In fact, I found an article just from about six weeks ago. This is very, very current. We're going to put it up on the screen that tells us that the U.S. church membership falls below majority for the first time ever. What they're saying here is that people that are members of churches, now this is not just actually Protestant evangelical churches, this is also Catholic. I think they even include Muslim mosques in this, okay? So they're, they're talking about all across the gamut of any, any kind of religion. They're saying in the United States, less than 50% of people in the United States are members of some kind of religious affiliation today. And what makes that alarming is that this is the first time it's ever happened. And when this was a Pew Research study, and when they started doing this, when they started tracking church attendance, it was back in the 1930s. And when they started, it was 70% of Americans were involved. And the overwhelming majority is part of Protestant churches, okay? 70% of the United States. And for 60 years, it stayed at around 70%. But right at the turn of the century, it started to, to decline to where now it's actually at 47%. That is a huge drop off over the last 20 years. And what that's telling us is that the church is losing influence in society. And the people that, that would say they don't subscribe to any religion, any organized religion at all, that number in the last 20 years has tripled. Just in 20 years, where it stayed pretty steady for the last 60, now it's tripled in the last 20. We're seeing it increasing exponentially, and it's alarming. And it should be alarming to us, and it should, it should open our eyes to, to what the Lord would have us do as followers of him. Because, see, you know, the society used to see the church as having answers to their problems. When there was issues in, in their life or in the world, people would come to church. 9-11, when that happened, church attendance spiked because people were running to the church because they were afraid because they thought the church might have some answers. Now, that spike was short-lived, but they did run to the church. Well, just 20 years later, now we're in the middle of COVID, and we're not seeing that happen. People are not seeing the church as having the answers. And I know it's a little different scenario because you have a virus that many people are afraid to come out or can't come out. But I'm, as somebody in the leadership in the church and knowing many other pastors and leaders in church work, we can tell you that the feeling is not that people are just itching to get back to church or, or that people are itching to come to church or be part of a church because of COVID. It's not doing that. It's not having the same effect. We are losing influence. So people that the society used to think the church had all the answers, now society's starting to think the church is the problem. That's what's happening. And that is eye-opening to me. And, and it's not all the church's fault. It's not all our fault that people feel the way they do. Society is changing. But you know what? The gospel hasn't changed. Jesus hasn't changed. The word of God has not changed. Society is changing. But there is a responsibility on the church because Jesus said very clearly that we are to be the salt of the earth. 
We are to be the salt. We are to be the ones that keep things from decaying, from society from decaying. So there is a role that we have. And I would suggest to you today, and I'm talking about cultural Christianity, one of the biggest reasons that the society is pushing, running away from the church is because of cultural Christianity within the church. Because society even can tell that when you're a cultural Christian and you don't really have that love relationship with Jesus and we're just kind of doing the things we think we're supposed to do as a cultural Christian, as a, you know, as a southern Christian, society can even see that it comes across judgmental and empty. Right? It does. They, they can sniff that out too. Because a real love, you know, Jesus, the, the lost were drawn to Jesus. They wanted to be with him. They wanted to be near him. And it wasn't just because he did miracles. They sensed the love he had in his heart for them. And so if we have that love relationship with Jesus, it will draw people to us. It will draw people into the places, the houses of worship to be nearer because they'll want to experience that same love that we've experienced in our life. So what I want to do and what I want to talk about today and over next week is to talk to you about the fact that there's an aspect of cultural Christianity that we probably all deal with on some level. I can tell you for myself even, as I was preparing this message this week, there were multiple moments where I'm typing something out or I'm thinking something in my head, and I started to cringe because I realized, ooh, I kind of struggle with that too. So this isn't a me pointing my finger at you. This is, we're all in this together. We're all doing this together, and there, the, the fact is that as long as we're human beings living on this earth, that there's going to be aspects even of Christianity that if we're not careful, we'll just kind of lean over into the side of being a cultural Christian and not someone that's really sold out for Jesus. And so I want us to look at these so that God can poke at our hearts too. And so he can always, because we always want God to be working on us and taking us on our next step, that, that next step in our walk with him. That's the, that's the mission of this church is to lead people to their next step in a God-first life. So we all, it's a constant thing that we always have to be looking at and dealing with in our life. And it's dangerous when we start talking about cultural Christianity because cultural Christianity is not real. It's a, it's a counterfeit. And one of the ways we recognize whether or not that's a part of our life is, is whether or not we feel entitled in our Christianity, in our faith. Do, we, do you feel entitled like, like you, are, you deserve to be a Christian? You know, or maybe it's your heritage. You know, your, your family's been Christian for generations. You know, your, your dad or your uncle was a pastor. And so, you know, I, I was born Christian. Nobody's born Christian, by the way. Or I was raised in the church. You know, my, my mama had me in the church every Sunday. So that doesn't make you a Christian, you know. In fact, if you feel like you deserve heaven, it is the first key to helping us understand that you don't know the first thing about the gospel. Because none of us deserve heaven. Not a one of us. None of us. We only get to go to heaven because of the great mercy and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there is no entitlement when it comes to this Christianity. It's not something we own, and it's part of who I am because it's how I was raised or it's my heritage. We all, nobody gets to ride into heaven on anybody's coattails. You know, we tell our kids that all the time, guys. It doesn't matter that I'm a pastor, kids. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it ain't going to go well for you. There's no coattails going into heaven. We all have to make our own decision and live our own life and decide what we're going to do. So it's important that we examine our hearts. And uh, what I'm going to do is we're going to do a cultural Christian checkup over the next two weeks is what I'm calling it. And there's four aspects that I want to look at. Two we're going to do today and two tomorrow. But I'll give you all four of them right now so you can kind of see what it is. The first one is admiration or adoration, posture or passion, convenience or completeness, and then safety or sacrifice. And like I said, we'll do the first two today and the next two next week. 
And I want to jump right in. I want to start with admiration or adoration. So the question is, do you admire Jesus or do you adore him? Now, on the surface, it would seem like it'd be a good thing to admire Jesus, right? Admire actually means warm approval and respect. That's nice, right? It's very nice. I, I admire a lot of people. I, I, I don't mind being admired, respected. You know? And I know that at first, personally, I admire a lot of people. I admire anybody that can play a musical instrument good enough that you can do it on a stage that people don't have to hold their ears shut when you play it. Because I know enough about music to know that it's difficult, that it takes a lot of hours, it takes a lot of hard work to learn how to play an instrument well. So I admire that. Anytime I see somebody playing an instrument, I have an admiration for them because I know what goes into it, right? I admire teachers because I know that they go to work every day and they're teaching these kids that don't want to be taught. They just want you to leave them alone so they can take a nap, right? Like, I, I know that what a lot of teachers go through a lot trying to teach kids and so I admire that. I know it doesn't pay that much. Now, I don't admire you in the summer because you're doing nothing. <laughs> I'm jealous of you in the summer, actually. But I admire teachers. I admire military. Military personnel, I never served in the military. When I see someone in fatigues, instantaneously I have an admiration for them. Because I know the sacrifice it takes for them to be in the military, especially if they have a family and they get deployed and have to leave their family at home. And, and, and you're, not only that, if there's a conflict, they're on the front lines protecting this country and protecting me. And I have such an admiration for that and a respect. And I think, man, that is so great. So it's good to admire. But here's the thing about admiration is that admiration is not built on a relationship. It's only built on a characteristic or a quality that I can see in you. I can admire someone that I have no relationship with because I can see something that they can do. And I can admire that all day. But I can't adore someone unless I have a relationship with that person. See, husbands, okay, any husbands in the house, if you're, you're, you're married, if you came to me and you said you wanted me to meet your wife, you're like, hey, here's my wife. We've been married for 20 years. She's been faithful to me for 20 years. She's loved me well for 20 years. You know what? I would instantaneously, I would admire that woman. It's like, wow, that's really great. You're honoring your vows. You're staying faithful to your husband over these 20 years. That's really great. I admire that in you. But you know what? My wife being faithful to me for 20 years, I adore that. I adore her, and I, and I, and I more than respect her. I have a deep love for her because of the fact that she is faithful to me. That's not the only reason, but that is one of the reasons, right? And so I can't, I can't adore a woman I just met because she's faithful to her husband. I can admire it, but I can adore someone that I'm in deep relationship with for the same things. And it's all about having relationship with that person. You see, to admire someone or something is generic, but to adore is very targeted. It's very specific. It means so much more. It's about commitment. I can admire something in you without having any commitment to you. But I can't adore you without being committed to you, at least in some way. And see, if you want to just admire Jesus, you can admire Jesus and not have any commitment to him. You know, in fact, society has an admiration for Jesus. They'll say, man, he was a good guy. You know, he, he did some, I know they say he did some miracles. He was really good to the poor people. He was good to women. He was really nice. Society admires the historical Jesus. But man, when, when you adore Jesus, the tone changes, doesn't it? Because then it goes from just like this generic respect that you have for him to now if I adore him, that means I'm worshiping him. Because to adore means to, it means to love deeply or to worship. So if I'm adoring him, that means I'm living for him. It means my life isn't my own. It means I'm giving my life to him and living for him. It's a totally different feel in life. 
So the question is, do you admire Jesus? Do you respect him and have warm thoughts towards him? Or do you adore him? Do you deeply love him and worship him? I can tell you today, you cannot adore him unless you have relationship with him. The, the cultural Christianity is all about admiring Jesus. It's about, yeah, man, Jesus is really cool. You can even admire him and what he did for you and saying that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead, that he ascended back to heaven, that he forgives you of your sins. You can admire him for that and not adore him. And I would tell you, if you're doing that, you're, you're in that category of a cultural Christian because to adore him, you have to be in relationship with him. There has to be a love relationship with him. He doesn't want us to admire him. He doesn't want us to respect him or have warm thoughts towards him. That's not what Jesus is going for in our life, church. That's not what he's looking for. He's not some insecure person that came to pay our debt because he wanted us to like him. You know how they've got that friend that really wants you to like them and they're insecure so they like buy you too nice of a gift for your birthday? Because they just really desperately want you to like them. Jesus didn't pay off this huge debt we have so that we would like him. He paid it off because it was the only way and because he did that, now he's worthy of more than our, adoration, our admiration, he's worthy of our adoration, he's worthy of our worship, he's worthy of our life and that's what he demands from us is our worship. In fact, in Matthew 4, 10, Jesus is talking to Satan. This is when Satan had him out in the desert and was tempting him. And Satan said, Jesus, if you will worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Now, you and me, if he did that to us, I would hope we would respond the way Jesus did. I don't know that we did. If it's all laid out before you and you knew you could rule the world if, he, if you had worshiped him, I hope we would respond in kind the way Jesus did. But we know how Jesus responded. He said in verse 10, he said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship or adore the Lord your God and serve him only. Let me tell you something, church. He is not someone to be admired, but he is to be worshiped. That is who Jesus is. He is not worthy of our respect. He's worthy of our worship. He doesn't want to be liked. He is our God. He is our Savior. He is our Redeemer. He is to be the object of our obsession, and he is our soon-coming King. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And let me tell you, right now we have the option of whether or not we're going to worship. When he comes back the second time, there will be no option. It says every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. So now it's better to do it now when we have a choice. And that's what he calls for in each, from each one of us. And it is very culturally Christian to admire Jesus. In fact, the test is for us, are we more concerned about fitting into culture or loving Jesus? Because frankly, you can't really do both. On some level, we all fall into this. On some level, we have to deal with this in our life. I'm bringing this up today so again, so it can be, so we can see our hearts, so that God can deal with what's in our heart, but we have to deal with it aggressively. We are not going to fit into culture the way that society wants us to if we're going to adore Jesus. If you want to just admire him, you can fit in just fine and the world will accept you, no problem. But the Apostle John tells us in his first epistle in 1 John 3, he says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. But then look what he says, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So the world won't know you if you adore Jesus. If you are living a life of worship to him, the world will not know you. They will not understand you. 
can I just free you up today, church? Stop trying to fit in to society. Stop trying to fit in. Now, we don't have to look like a bunch of weirdos and freaks. I'm not saying we try to be weird and crazy, but we also don't have to just fit in. Because the world doesn't understand our love for Jesus. They understand our admiration, but they don't understand our passion for him, our our dedication, our worship to him. They won't understand it. The unsaved Christian, or the cultural Christian, refuses to deny self and follow Christ, but instead admires Jesus, or is cool with Jesus, as long as he doesn't interrupt their life. As long as he doesn't interrupt what I want to do. That's what cultural Christianity would do. Because I can tell you, the real Christianity is is about Jesus really getting in there and messing up our life. (laughs) For his glory, but it's also for our good. Because there's a lot of stuff in us that needs to be messed up because in our sin nature, there's nothing good in us. But cultural Christianity says, you know what, I'm fine with Jesus, just don't really get into all of my stuff. See, I mentioned that I really admire the military. But now if if somebody from the military, let's say uh, Nello Thomas, the retired colonel, he was in first service, let's say he came to me and I was talking to him and he was like, tell me about his career. And I was like, man, I really admire what you've done. It's really incredible. It's really great. And I admire him. But then all of a sudden he turns to me and says, okay, but listen, you need to enlist. You need to serve 20 years in the military. I served for, for however, however many he served. And I stood on the front lines and you have to do it too. That's the only way you're going to be a real man. If you serve in the military. Now let me tell you, if he did that, my admiration for him would quickly turn to disdain. All right? Especially since I'm too old to enlist anyway. But, but if he started to tell me that I got to do what he does, that would not be okay with me. Because I, he have, I don't have the relationship with him to where he can kind of tell me what to do with my life, right? Now, if my wife comes to me and says, hey, you need to do something, chances are I'm going to do it, right? She, has a lot, she can speak into my life a lot more because of my relationship with her, and I don't just admire her, I adore her. And what Jesus does in our life, too, is he comes to us and he says, you know what, I died for you. And we can say, oh, that's really cool, Jesus, thanks, I admire that, thanks for the forgiveness. But then he says, oh, by the way, now you've got to lay down your life for me. Now you've got to deny yourself. Now you got to take up your cross and follow me. Now you got to live for me. Actually, your life's not your own anymore. It's actually mine. I bought it. And if we just admire Jesus, we say, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. That's not how this works. I just want the forgiveness of the sins. I want to go to heaven. But you ain't getting the rest. If we admire him, that's all we'll do. If we adore him, we say, bring it on, Jesus. Come on. Take me to that next level, Lord. It hurts sometimes. But ultimately, we know that the only way we're going to be fulfilled is if we really give ourselves to him. It's the difference between admiration and adoration. All right, the next one is posture or passion. So posture is about looking the part. It's about knowing the things to say, the things to do to look like a Christian. So the question today is, are you posturing or are you passionate about Jesus? You know, we're all passionate about something, right? We all have passions. We all care about things. There's things we love. I love pizza. I love crab legs. I love a good Reuben sandwich. I love Ohio State football. Sorry, guys, I just do. I love air conditioning. Mm, Man, do I love air conditioning. I love my kids. I love my wife. I love my job. I love a lot of things. And let me tell you, I am not hesitant to tell you about those things if you give me an opportunity, right? 
because it's something that I feel deeply about. I'm passionate about it, and it overflows out of me. We all have passions in our life. And if you want to know what you're passionate about, there's a very easy litmus test that you could do right after church today. It'll take you 10 seconds. Go on your phone, look at your online banking, and then look at your calendar. That's what you're passionate about. Your, on, your banking and your calendar shows exactly what you care about. You don't have to try to put on a facade. It'll show exactly what you care about. And if that is the test, then I care a lot about food and meetings. That's what I care about. Because that's basically my bank and my calendar. So it'll show us exactly what we're passionate about. We are all passionate. Are you, but are you passionate or are you postured when it comes to your relationship with God, your Christianity, your faith? And this is where it gets dangerous for us because oftentimes it is easier for us in our faith to posture than it is to be passionate. Especially if you've been in church a while, you know how to posture. We all do. We know exactly what to do to look like a good Christian person, right? That's not hard for us to do. We know when to raise our hands. We know when to clap. We know when to say amen. We all speak fluent Christianese, right? We all know the words. We know how to give a token Bible verse to someone if they need it. You know, we know how to posture ourselves. And a lot of times, a lot of those things start off genuine in our life, but as the passion fades, it starts to become a ritual. And if we're not careful, we end up becoming completely culturally Christian where we know the things to do. We're putting up the facade. Nobody else knows, but we know. And we're not really passionate about Jesus. We're just posturing ourselves. And I can tell you from Scripture that posturing in the faith is a very dangerous place to be. There are countless places where posturing was called out by God. And it does not go well when we do this. You see, uh, we don't want to end up like the religious leaders that Jesus rebuked in Matthew 15. This is one place where he calls them out. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I said, I don't want to be that. I want to always let God check my heart and bring my heart back. Because the heart will stray away. You just have to make sure we're always letting him bring it back. None of us have it figured out, guys. None of us. None of us are like, yeah, you know what? I just love Jesus every minute of every day. That's just how I live. There's no temptations in life anymore. If somebody tells you that, you need to take him to the doctor. Because it just doesn't work that way. We always need to let God be test showing us our heart. Because here's the deal. Like I said, we know how to posture. And this isn't something that's just in the church. This is something... Let me tell you, kids know how to do this. I mean, when I'm at home, if I'm in the living room and my kids come in the room, I know right away what's going on. If they just come in and barely acknowledge me and just plop down on the couch and start looking at their phone, there's nothing going on. But, man, if they want something, mm, I mean, it's, hey, Dad, how's it going? And I'm just, like, making sure my wallet's still in my pocket, you know. But here's the deal. Sometimes I don't know their heart. Sometimes they can get over on me, and I don't even realize it till later. Sometimes they probably do stuff, and I never know it. But God knows, kids, just so you know. But here's the, and so, so sometimes we don't know another person's heart, but I can tell you this. God always knows our heart. Always knows our heart. And he very clearly in Scripture is more concerned about our heart than our posture. Over and over again, when he was looking for the king to replace Saul, he told Samuel, he said, do not look at the outward appearance. You guys look at the outward appearance, I look at the heart. That's why we don't care when people ask us how they're supposed to 
a, a, a dress or what you're supposed to do to come to our church, we don't care about the outward appearance. As long as you're covered up, we're good. You know, we just want you here because God cares about your heart. In fact, let me, I want to show you a couple, a couple verses that are examples of culture Christians in the Bible where Jesus called them out. The first one was uh, in John chapter 2. So Jesus had just started his earthly ministry. In fact, he just completed his first miracle. He turned water into wine. And then he goes into Jerusalem for the Passover feast. You know, when, when the Passover feast was happening, the Jews came from all over to come into Jerusalem. There'd be millions of, of Jews there during the Passover feast. So Jesus went there too. And in John 2, 23, look what it says. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. Now, we don't know what all these miraculous signs are. It doesn't say, but he was doing some pretty cool stuff. And people saw him and it says they were trusting in him. But look what it says right after that. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature for he knew what was in each person's heart. Man, that sounds rough. Like, man, Jesus, they were, they were trusting you and it says you didn't trust them. What's going on? We look at that and think, man, he was being kind of hard on them, right? The Bible's very clear. The reason he was hard on them is they say it right there. He knows their heart. So they, they, didn't necessarily, they didn't really trust him. They saw him doing some miracles. They thought, ooh, that's really cool. We need to get stay close to this dude. Something, something good might happen for us if we stay close to him. And he saw their heart, and he's like, I'm not trusting you guys. I know you. Their, their, their positioning, their posturing meant nothing to him. It says very clearly he didn't trust him. The rich young ruler that we see in Mark 10, another clear example where somebody came to Jesus. In fact, let me read verse 17. So Jesus is walking along. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. That's posturing. And he said, good teacher. Even some more posturing, doing a little sucking up there. What must I do to inherit eternal life? So this guy, us reading this, it looks like, wow, this guy's really genuine. He wants to know what he needs to do. Sounds great. But if you know this passage, you know that Jesus exposed his heart. And he said, well, here's what you need to do. You need to go sell everything you own, give your money to the poor, and then come follow me. And it says the man went away sad. He didn't do it. So Jesus saw his heart and said, listen, you kneeling in front of me and saying you want something from me, it means nothing to me. It doesn't mean anything to me because I know your heart. I know you're just posturing here. Your little, your little kneeling worship does nothing if the heart is not connected to it. And see, it doesn't mean anything to him when we do it either. When we're just posturing ourselves, but our heart's not connected to it, it doesn't mean anything to Jesus. Because he wants our hearts. He wants our heart. And that's the hardest thing for us to give up, guys, isn't it? The heart's the hardest thing to give up. I can give you just about anything else, but man, giving you my heart, I'm really putting myself out there. Jesus said that that's what I want. And I won't take anything less than that. And then in my text verse is another one. They said, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? They did a lot of really cool things. They did a lot of posturing. Jesus said, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It's interesting because if you try to think about this in a more relevant, more modern times, it would be something like if people were to say, Lord, Lord, I asked you into my heart when I was nine years old. Lord, Lord, I got baptized when I was a teenager. Lord, Lord, I used to go to youth camp. Lord, I served on the dream team at my church, which we do want you to do that, but not for posturing. Right? Lord, I was on the board at my church. Lord, I, 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 never, I never allowed my kids to have pictures with a Santa. 
You know, I did all the right things. My, my aunt prayed for me her whole life. My, my uncle was a pastor. You know, I, I was pro-life. I mean, you got to let me in. And Jesus would say, depart from me, I never knew you. You're a cultural Christian. Because he wants the heart. He doesn't want posturing, he wants passion. He wants people that are willing to suffer for him. People that are willing to give everything for him. He won't take anything less than all of it. And I know this is, this is a tough word because this is a constant struggle for us every day, all the time. This is a struggle. Posturing is so much easier. It's so much easier. And we can, we can stumble into it so easily, it's scary, church. I can do it on a Sunday morning. I'll be transparent with you guys because I'm first to tell you, I don't have it all figured out. I'm on this journey too. But I'll sit here, stand here in the front row on a Sunday morning, and I'll have my hands up like I'm worshiping. And if you're behind me, you're thinking, woo, Pastor Reagan is feeling it today. And I'm actually finding myself thinking about, well, did I turn my lights off in my office before I came out here? It happens. We just, we get distracted so easily. And, and praise God, you know, when I think about that, God's not judging us because we're getting distracted in worship, okay? But I'm just saying, that's a very, very small thing. But man, we could just do that in our life and get to where we still know how to make it look like we're still passionate. And something that started out as genuine in our life becomes just a ritual, it becomes something we do because we just know how to do it because I've been doing this a long time. And God says, I don't want your posturing. I want your passion. I want you to live for me. The Bible tells us there will be a great judgment where God will separate those that, that were passionate for him away from those that were posturing. At the great judgment, he will do that. And I want to be one of the ones that was passionate for him. I want to be one of the ones that was living for him. We have to constantly ask ourselves, am I in this for me or am I in it for him? That's what it boils down to. And again, this isn't one of those one-time things where you say, yeah, I'm in it for him and now I'm good. I can check that off my list and live my life. It is a constant thing that we have to remind ourselves of. We have to remind ourselves of the verse in 1 Corinthians 10 and 31 from the Apostle Paul. He says, so whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, everyone say, whatever you do. Whatever you do, that covers everything. Do it all for the glory of God. That is supposed to be our passion, that it would be for his glory, that it would be for his kingdom, that it would be for his honor, for his power, everything for him. That is the, that is the motive, that is, the, that is the, the standard operating procedure for a Christian, not the posturing. So we have to check our hearts. We have to constantly, you know, the Bible talks about saying, God, search my heart. Know my anxious thoughts. Know what's inside of me. Because here's the deal, church. When God searches our heart, it's not to condemn. It's not to beat us down. It's not to make us feel little. Because here, here's the thing. I want to make this very clear. When God searches our heart, when God shows us things in our heart, when he shows us, yeah, this is something that that I'm not, I'm not there. Like, I, I'm really struggling with this, actually. I feel like I'm, I'm really kind of leaning towards that cultural Christian side. God doesn't reveal that to us so he can say, aha, I told you you weren't good enough. He's saying it not to put you in bondage, but to get you out of bondage. Because the cultural Christianity is what puts us in bondage. Because you know, if you, if you struggle, if you, if you give into that, you feel a sense of being unfulfilled unlike anyone else. You know it. Because when, once you know, once you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, once you've experienced his goodness and his grace in your life, and you've lived a life where you have gone through seasons where you really loved him, you were passionate about him, but then you got to this season where you just kind of went through the motions, you start to feel more unfulfilled than if you'd never been saved. 
Because once you know, you can't not know anymore. You just can't. And once you know, nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else will satisfy us. Everything else in this world, everything else in this world puts us in bondage. Everything other than giving yourself 100% to Jesus. There's nothing in this world that is not bondage besides that. And that's something that's hard for us to grasp because sometimes we can feel like, I feel pretty good, you know, kind of doing my thing and, and giving Jesus my scraps. But, but I'm telling you, the day will come where you will realize how unfulfilled and how unhappy you really are. And this is part of the reason, and this is in the church so rampantly, this is part of the reason we're losing, uh, we're losing influence in our society. Because people in society can sniff this out too. They can see when we're not really living passionately for our God, but we're just kind of going through the motions because what happens is we kind of give off this aura of judgmentalism where we're judgmental because, well, listen, I know how to do the stuff. I go to church and I know, I know how I'm supposed to behave and you don't. And so they, just, they, they see that you're just kind of judging them because your lifestyle doesn't really back up what you say you are. Because cultural Christianity is not about a lifestyle. It's about, it's about saying one thing but doing another. That's exactly what happens when we live that way. So if you're more concerned about looking the part than loving the king, then you've been given to cultural Christianity. And again, I'm exposing it. I'm, I'm talking about it today so that we can let God work it in our lives and work on our hearts. Admiring Jesus and posturing yourself will leave you unfulfilled. The gospel is not about church attendance. It's not about being a sincere and a good person. It's not about heritage. It's not about ethnicity. It's not about any of those things. It is about a savior that loved you enough and came and died for you so that you could live for him. That's the gospel. Nothing else. Nothing else. It's Jesus and nothing. That's the gospel. And it's not Sunday morning. It is 24, 7, 365 until, you, until he comes back or he calls you home. That's it. And we, as human beings, will always be dealing with the tension of it. But I am 100% committed to leading this church in such a way that I am always talking about it. Because I know I need it. And I really love Jesus a lot. I've given up a lot to serve Jesus. And I still know that I even have to deal with the cultural Christianity sometimes. So I know we deal with it. But man, when, like a day like today, this is not meant to be like, man, I'm a horrible person. This is meant to be like, man, I've really seen some stuff and I'm just thankful I could see it so I could ask the Lord. The Bible tells us very clearly that when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. That the justice of God is to forgive us when we confess to him and to cleanse us. Thank you, Jesus. To cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. You have a clean slate when you come before him. Now we're going to dirty that slate up again, I'm sure. But man, he's, he's, he is no shortage of bleach. <laughs> He cleans us over and over and over every time we come to him, every time. His mercies are new every morning, every day, every day. They never use up the grace of God in our life as long as our hearts are for him. Amen. God bless you. Would you stand with me, please, and I'll close. I just want you to respond today to this prayer. We're still not coming forward doing altar calls at this time, but you can respond in your seat. There's no special power up here at the front of the sanctuary. You can respond right there. I just ask you to open up your heart this morning.
Open up your heart. If God has shown you something that maybe you would say, man, I, I, am, I do give in to some of that cultural Christianity. That's great. Not that you give in, but do you see it? Because we want to let God deal with it. And he will deal with it right now. You can, you can rest assured without any question, without any doubt, that as we confess, as we give ourselves to him, that he receives us with open arms. And he forgives all of our iniquities in Jesus' name. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you today. We thank you so much, Jesus, for your word that sets us free. Lord, everything else in this world is bondage. You are the only one that really brings freedom. We thank you for that freedom today. We bask in your freedom today. But Lord, we know that the freedom you give us is not the freedom to sin, it's the freedom from sin. And Lord, we still give ourselves to sin sometimes, but when we do, God, we come to you as we are today and we're repenting of our sin. We're repenting of, being, of posturing ourselves. We repent that we maybe have just admired you in some ways and have not really adored you. We, we ask you, God, to cleanse us, to clean our slate, Lord. We come to you today telling you, Lord, that we know we're not good enough. We know we don't measure up, but we're thankful today that we don't have to measure up. We are found in you, Jesus. I thank you that your love is never ending, that there's nothing in this world that can separate us from your love. So God, we give you our hearts today. Lord, where we have held back, where we have not given you all of our heart, God, shine your light on those areas. Shine your light and do your work. Lord, we wanna take our next step. We wanna take our next step. Lord, we know you're not asking us to jump off of a cliff. You just ask us to take that next step towards you. God, whatever that is for everyone in this room today and everyone listening online, I pray, God, that you would help them take that step. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We thank you for your freedom, God. We thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord. We thank you that it's not by might, it's not by power, it is by your spirit living in us that we will experience any freedom in this world. We thank you for it, Jesus. We give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. You're the only one that deserves it, Lord. Forgive us for where we have stolen the glory from you where we have taken the honor, where we have wanted it for ourselves, forgive us, Lord. We thank you for your forgiveness today. And Lord, for anyone in this room today that has never given their heart to you, that might say, you know what, I've never been anything but a cultural Christian. Father, I pray right now that you would show them your love, that you would help them to take that next step to just asking you to forgive them of their sins and to invite you into their life, that they, their life would be yours now. We thank you for your forgiveness that you will in no ways cast any one of us aside as we come to you with a humble heart. We need you, Jesus. We are in desperate, desperate need of a Savior every second of every minute of every day. We thank you for your salvation, Lord. Thank you for the cross, Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that our debt is paid. We are forgiven. We are free. We are whole in Jesus' name. We honor you today, Lord God. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Can we, yeah, can we worship God with a hand clap offering? Thank you, Lord.